Chapter 28, Part 2 of Autobiography, Memories and Experiences, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Autobiography, Memories and Experiences, Volume 2, by Moncure Conway. Chapter 28. My return from the fairyland beside the Avon was into a cloud. I found my wife sitting with anxiety beside our little Emerson. Knowing how important was the fulfillment of my contract as commissioner of the Morning Star at Stratford, she had not telegraphed me of the child's illness, the sequel of measles, not immediately dangerous. My wife was a believer in homeopathy, and our invalid was attended by Dr. James John Garth Wilkinson, well known in our Concord circle by his book, The Human Body and Its Connection with the Human Soul. He was a grand sort of man, with a powerful will, and his devotion to the child gained our gratitude. It was a long illness, but some improvement came in May, and our doctor advised us to go into the country. We went to Wimbledon, where our friends, Mr. and Mrs. Henry Whitehead, took us as ledgers in their charming homestead, Warren Farm. Here, Emerson steadily improved, and we had fair prospect that he would recover. But where is there any escape from man's supplement to nature's destructiveness? Near the middle of July, the military review and rifle practice began at Wimbledon, and the cottagers were given notice to leave. We concluded to try Brighton, but the change was fatal. Oh, how we nursed that child! My wife was nearly worn out. Night after night I paced the room with my sweet child in my arms. As the homeopathic doctor in Brighton, had been a personal friend of the Rev. F. W. Robertson, I supposed him competent. But what was my horror at his intimation that he had consulted the spirits about the remedies? Here were we, Ellen and I, haters of war, who could not be left in our quiet Wimbledon Vale by the infernal bullets, and with all our dislike of spiritualism, had fallen into the hands of a spiritualist physician. In the evening before the morning of burial, my wife desired some flowers, and I went out to buy them. It was late, and I could find no florist shop open, but there was one grand establishment where I supposed I could find residents who would promise to let me have the flowers very early in the morning. A large glass conservatory was lighted, and I hurried to the door and knocked. Knocked again, and louder. There was no answer, and straining my eyes against the glass of doors and windows, I found that the seeming illumination was all from the street lamps outside. Within was silence and emptiness. A dread came upon me. Was I looking into little Emerson's grave and finding that all the bright hopes, all the visions of immortal life, 
were but projections from earthly lamps on emptiness somehow i felt that in the illusion under which i had fairly battered at the door there was a sort of mockery in the early morning between seven and eight o'clock i went out and managed to get the white flowers i find a note by my wife saturday sixth of august we placed his body in the ground near f w robertson on a high hill overlooking the sea and a little stone cross above twined with ivy so even then we were trying to cling to the cross ralph waldo emerson had once called on us after we had a house in concord and seeing my two sons he said of his namesake little emerson is beautiful and winning but i think you will get more satisfaction out of the elder boy eustace so it proved the words of shylock are far-reaching the curse never fell upon our race till now i never felt it till now i had caught a glimpse of sullen spite in nature glaring through her veil of violets and tinted skies it was not merely the child's premature death that was unpardonable but the prolonged cruel incidents of it the sweet little one he was nearly three years of age did not indeed suffer much physical pain from the hydrocephalus that caused his death but during the four months preceding death august fourth he was so sadly puzzled by his inability to walk the cessation of our merry strolls i hear now his little voice saying i wish i could get well or seeing our distress kiss me kiss me again mamma day by day hour by hour the child was more and more deeply entwined with our heart-strings and poor little eustace in his sixth year who had so petted emerson wandered about helplessly my vacation began with august and we started off with our one child for a tour we went to paris and tried to forget our grief amid the manifold beauties of the city we passed over to germany and switzerland the thin and worn condition of my wife which had been giving me anxiety began to disappear but we really found no consolation for our hearts we could only weep silently together i received a letter from browning in which he said if i who cannot restore your child would he who can will it made us both love the poet more but our visions of immortality must have unconsciously grown dim i had with me a letter from dr brabant of bath to strauss and to meet him we visited heilbronn it was welcomed by strauss and his attractive daughter he had for some time been separated from his wife a brilliant but incompatible actress we went on a long walk beside the neckar and he inquired about parker emerson and the english liberals 
i asked him whether he knew of any work worth reading concerning immortality he said after some reflection no it appears to me a purely anthropological problem and on that point no more was said strauss was in his fifty-sixth year there was as yet no gray in his dark hair his features were fine his mouth especially delicate as if related to his sweet voice his dark eyes candid and tender he pointed out to me near an ancient church traces of the holy fountain which gave heilbronn its name he said with his gentle smile the theory of the priests is that the fountain ceased to flow when i came here to reside after my memorable day and evening with strauss we travelled to heidelberg to visit gervinus whose english was fluent enough to enable me to enjoy his conversation at the breakfast to which he invited me we reached frankfurt on goethe's birthday and found the city decorated we explored the goethe birthhouse a museum and tried to forget our pain amid the festivities we enjoyed our sail on the rhine under a beautiful sky we visited grand cathedrals and art galleries in germany and belgium and on the last day of august eighteen sixty four arrived at ostend finding our london friends mr and mrs william neal and their little son harold for our child to play with we remained a week at ostend i there wrote a sermon for the formidable day when i must again stand before my sympathizing congregation i also wrote down some notes concerning persons met on my little tour i find it written concerning the conversation of strauss quote, i feel oppressed at seeing nearly every nation in europe chained by an allied despotism of prince and priest he studied long the nature of this oppression and came to the conclusion that the chain was rather inward than outward and without the inward thraldom the outward would soon rust away the inward chain was superstition and the form in which it bound the people of europe was christian supernaturalism so long as men accept religious control not based on reason they will accept political control not based on reason the man who gives up the whole of his moral nature to an unquestioned authority suffers a paralysis of his mind and all the changes of outward circumstance in the world cannot make him a free man for this reason our european revolutions have been even when successful mere transfers from one tyranny to another he believed when writing the leben jesu that in striking at supernaturalism he was striking at the root of the whole tree of political and social degradation renan had done for france what he had thought to do for germany renan had written a book which the common people read the influence of the leben jesu 
had been confined to scholars more than he liked and he meant to put it into a more popular shape germany must be made to realize that the decay of christianity means the growth of national life and also of general humanity as strauss could speak little english and my german was not equal to profound themes we now and then resorted to latin words what i have just written was gathered from our conversation and must not be taken literally but what he said to me about immortality that it was a purely anthropological problem is exact for on that i had meditated every day since i left him and again as i looked out from ostend over the shoreless sea it was at ostend strolling amid the happy promenaders on the dig bathing on the translucent waves observing the happy peasantry above all the crowds of merry children on the beach that our spirits found some relief and repose the old belgian town took hold of our affection we made some acquaintance with the market women and tradespeople we found the seaside luxuries wholesome and cheap and in after years being not permitted to bathe together on english beaches we found happy vacations in dear old ostend from my wife's diary september eleventh monk preached for the first time since our loss and broke down completely september twenty first my darling's birthday emerson a regular cloud and sunshine day eustace says he guesses god got the rainbow for emerson returned to london we found pleasant lodgings at twenty eight notting hill square the house was kept by a childless couple heppel who were not only kind but amusing the husband passed all his time in genealogical investigations and we had not been in the house a month before he had traced us both back to royal families our new residence had been selected in that region in order to be near our friends of aubrey house to our delight our friends professor cairns and his wife took the only other apartment to let in the house this admirable man was thoroughly instructed in american affairs he knew our constitutional history and the causes of the anomalies and compromises which had led to the war he was well acquainted with all the legal economic and international questions involved and being with all a man of sweetness as well as light i could consult him about all my articles written for either country professor cairns was a tall handsome man younger than his published works had led me to suppose though sadly afflicted with rheumatism his countenance was always beaming with humor his lovely wife was gracious witty always cheerful and my wife found her friendship a great resource the intimate friends of cairns were his confreres in economic studies john stuart mill and professor fawcett now and then 
we all went to dine with mill and his stepdaughter helen taylor who lived in a pretty house at cray in personal appearance john stuart mill resembled edgar allan poe his delicate mouth almost feminine which twitched nervously at times and the small chin were in contrast with the breadth and height of his brow although mill was more eager to listen than to talk we managed to throw the burden of conversation upon him and never failed to go away enriched by his ample knowledge and ideas many a new view in philosophy religion and sociology grew in me from his casual suggestions made without the slightest doctrinaire spirit when led to speak of eminent contemporaries from whom he differed he did so with a look of deference there was pathos in his expression when he spoke of carlyle and said then carlyle turned against all his friends emerson he had met in eighteen forty eight and though he had no liking for any transcendentalism held him in great esteem on the evening of our first visit to mill professor cairns and the ladies drove to the station and our host walked with me he turned the conversation on emerson and i told him how when i was a youth in virginia sharing the conventional notions of those around me a sentence quoted from emerson in a magazine had awakened in me a new thought and aim which ultimately revolutionized my life mill paused on the road and said that is something that should be engraved on a man's tomb although in his countenance there was a tinge of melancholy it was serene and there was some twinkle in his eyes when he uttered an epigrammatic criticism on one or another politician who had acquired popularity or power he was a man of delicate sentiment elegant manners and affectionate nature by the personal care he had given to the culture of his stepdaughter a care maternal as well as paternal she was able to appreciate his philosophy learning and his unique personality some of the most instructive conversations with mill and helen taylor related to their observations of the french people and their religion in the provinces they felt that the central figure of the madonna was more elevating in their humble homes than any form that protestantism could offer helen taylor told me that once when they were in scotland she called on a poor woman who had lost her little son the mother was inconsolable and said what troubles me is they will be all menfolk up there and won't know how to do for him i had heard that when mill and helen taylor visited the parthenon where there was some discussion as to the spot on which the statue of athena had stood the young lady moved to a certain point and said i believe it stood here Curtius and his party heard of it and reached the same conclusion i asked her about it and she said her reason was that if it had been a catholic church 
the virgin would have stood at that spot. End of chapter 28